This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical device manufacturing. Save the date for MedTech Innovation Expo 2024, taking place on the 5th and 6th of June at the NEC in Birmingham. For more information, please visit www.medtechexpo.com. to this episode of the MedTalk podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, Group Content Manager for MedTech Innovation and Medical Plastics News. And today I'm joined once again by Sam Stevens, the Director of TBAT Innovation, to talk about the launch of the third running of TBAT Innovation Challenge, and how it's grown since its first running in 2022, and what might be different about the 2024 edition. I'm also joined by 2023 winner Alistair Wilson, whose set test innovation came out on top. He tells us about what is a very personal inspiration to bring a point-of-need rapid diagnostics for sepsis into the mainstream. And he talks about how things have developed since the final last autumn, working with TVAP, plus a few more interesting nuggets. Gents, thanks for joining us on the MedTalk podcast. Sam, it's your second appearance, uh, because you've had the Innovation Challenge on its second running in the autumn, and now you've launched its third running. So... First of all, can you tell what what was uh, what was the difference between the second and the first for you? How much has the uh, the innovation challenge progressed? Oh, the, the step change has been fantastic, Ian. We got some superb sponsors on board, which really made it happen for us. So we had Shakespeare Martin on board, and we had each of the workshops sponsored by key stakeholders, and it was just a fantastic opportunity to put something back into the business ecosystem. So we were absolutely delighted with the response we got from people wanting to talk on the workshops, from people engaging in the workshops, and then taking part in the, in the business challenge towards the end. We surpassed all the numbers we expected. It, it was it, The step change was brilliant. I, mean, I, I saw the, uh, the 10 finalists. I think it was 10 finalists, was it, at the, uh, at the grand final at the end, towards the end of last year? How, how did you end up whittling it down to 10? Because I understand there was a fairly substantial number. Yeah, so um, in the pre- in the very first competition, we had about twenty competitors into the into the challenge, but last year we got over sixty. Um, so we had to go through quite a rigorous process. So we we defined how people could enter the the competition, what they could submit with the business plan, and then answer some key questions. And then three colleagues, we we sat down with twenty each, and then we came up with our top six or seven, and then we had to pitch to the other two why we thought these were worthy of going into final. And then by the end of a very long afternoon, we got down to the top 10 to go forward into the final beat between us by kind of that mutual recognition of, of the talent that we were seeing and the strength of the competition. By the sounds of it, a lot of coffee was needed um, <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> but so you've, you've had that growth between one and two. 
what you're anticipating for the third year? Because I understand there's a something a little different from uh, from what I've been hearing in terms of yeah. given that you've had so many innovations from the medical space that you've had to tweak things a little bit. Yes, so um, we're hoping we'll the workshop numbers we get between sort of 100 and 200, and that would be great to maintain that and even grow it. So our partners are brilliant at promoting it on social media and around their networks. But in the business competition that then follows from the June to August is the open period. I would hope to get over 100 companies applying into the into the competition, into the challenge. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the overall numbers, but I think we're going to stream it med tech and non-med tech or life science med tech, the bio industries and, and non. And then when we get to the showcase, we'll have a winner of each stream and then we'll have an overall winner. And, and, and that kind of reflects the, the strength of the UK in, in the medtech sector. And, and certainly we draw a lot of companies from sort of Oxford, Cambridge and, and the East Midlands area where there is quite a strong medtech focus. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we need to reward that separately. But um, we also need to encourage all those other fantastic companies to compete who have got every other idea under the sun. And, and, and it might be that two non-tech winners go, are in the final and just one winner. In, in the bio field. So, yeah, we're trying to do it so we recognise the two different kind of key categories. And it's probably unsurprising that your second winner, like the first winner, was from the medical field. So and I'll bring in Alistair now. First of all, congratulations because I didn't see you on the night. I think before we started recording, we, uh, we, um, we were talking about certain tales that we shared from that night that got me late here, but we'll not go into that here. But... Um, First of all, how did it feel to be recognised in, in this capacity? I, I think any sort of recognition is is beneficial, but um, given the sort of the size and depth of TBAT and the network that they've got, to get recognition from that group of people and that network was was really really special for us. I mean, personally, I think the 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 thing I'm actually most proud of was the. Um, we actually won the audience uh, vote for the for on the evening, and for me personally, so I'm a sepsis survivor myself, and that's part of my journey and why I'm involved in this particular project and everything. But when I saw the picture of uh, on the night they had a live voting graph, and and Septest was quite high up in front, mm-hmm. and when my wife sent me that picture and said we won that, I, I burst into tears. I'll be honest, uh, it was it was amazing. I, that that and that was enough for me. I was happy with that. That was just that recognition of that we've got this innovation and yes, you know, we we believe we've got the right solution to that problem. But the fact that people get it and that they uh, are on board with what we're trying to do and our mission, I think that for me was, was amazing. And then obviously, just to be even in the top 10, the exposure that you get from just being in the top 10 and the support that you get, even if you don't win, from the TBAT network and everything. I think that is something that's really surprised me. I think I've never been involved in a network where it's full of such genuine, supportive people that actually you make so many connections. It's all these, you know, three degrees of separation. There's always someone in the network who knows someone else who knows someone else. And I've literally been passed around in a good way <laughs> um, ever since. So we're in, what, February now, and the competition, the, the showcase final was in October last year. And I'm still dealing with, I say dealing with, that sounds horrible, but I'm still um, in conversations and things like that that have all been triggered from 
the TBAT Innovation Challenge. So that's, um, it's, I'm so lucky, but in a sense, I'm so busy now following it that, um, yeah, I almost don't know what to do with myself. I mean, it's good that you're really busy, and I think you preempted a few of my questions there. But before we move on sorry, to others... Sorry, I've ruined your show, sorry. <laughs> Absolutely fine. You're not, you're not the worst for it. Um, <laughs> I think okay. I'm the worst candidate. But um, when, it, when it comes to set test, I mean, I think you've briefly touched upon your backstory there, but if you can give us a little bit more insight as to why you started it obviously you're a sepsis survivor but it feels like over the past yeah. few years for example the awareness has been really raised about about sepsis because i think you, you yeah. can see st- storylines and soap operas now about how it affects families in in, in that sense as well and I'm, yeah first of all and, and i appreciate this might be a little bit difficult for you but can you tell us about the experience of having sepsis and then what really how did you go from there having that experience having sepsis to thinking I need to do something about, you know, creating this diagnostic for it. Yeah, sure. That's quite quite a long a long answer, really. But I'll, I'll try and keep it short. But just to sort of address what you said about the recent awareness and increase in awareness around sepsis, that's really largely been driven, certainly in this country, um, by the work of the UK Sepsis Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've made a big deal out of sepsis quite rightly so uh, and they've pumped a lot of money into making people more sepsis savvy which and 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 they've worked with the likes of you know coronation street and all these different storylines that you've seen uh, and they've also supported um the recent sort of ombudsman investigation and report um and and driven it through the the government as well to make people more aware of sepsis so there's quite a big spotlight on that and that's that's fantastic work that they've done it's a shame it hasn't happened a lot earlier um in in my own um case it's nearly 20 years ago that i had sepsis and um i was 22 i just graduated from university master in chemistry uh thought the world was at my feet and everything like that started to look to go out to work and uh, I fell ill and ended up in hospital and I I ended up having uh, like a bowel infection and uh, I needed to have surgery for that which was traumatic enough survived all of that and then due to go home literally the night before uh, my stitches burst uh, had an infection uh, and it wasn't picked up at the time really it wasn't handled very well they sort of gave me ibuprofen and uh, everything else for the for the fever they didn't really recognize the, the early signs of sepsis given that I was in still in intensive care or in the hospital system and I ended up getting poorly very quickly because the sepsis protocol or um, clinical pathway at the time wasn't great it wasn't as well established as it is now um, I think only since sort of 2012 uh, when the sort of nice guidance came in it's got a lot better about giving broad spectrum antibiotics straight away and all this sort of stuff so I ended up being very poorly and I stayed in hospital for about three weeks nil by mouth um, attacked my nervous system everything so I ended up losing a lot of weight being very poorly uh, needed to learn to walk again managed to survive all of that and got um, discharged and one of the things with sepsis as well is that that it's known now it's not called post sepsis syndrome it's it's called something else i've forgotten now um but there's again the sepsis trust has has done a lot of work on this so even if you survive sepsis there's a 50 percent chance that you'll have long-term issues and that could be mental 
or physical. So we've all seen pictures of people losing arms and legs from sepsis, and thankfully that wasn't me. But certainly from the sort of uh, mental side of things, there's a challenge to get back to work because you, you've got this long recovery period physically. You struggle to get back to work. It, it ruined the relationship that I had at the time. And it, I, I can hand on heart say they actually robbed me of my youth. It was that devastating. Um, but fortunately, I managed to um, find work uh, with my chemistry background in the pharma industry. Carried on doing that for a number of years and then sort of accidentally fell into med tech. Uh, largely because I had children and I couldn't travel and do these clinical trials all over the world and everything. So, And, and that role was in diagnostics and mainly around sort of diabetes testing and things like that. And every now and again, when you, when you can do things in diagnostics, you can measure analytes and things like that. People come to you with different challenges. You know, can you measure this in the blood? Can you do that? And we had a couple of uh, sepsis projects come to us and we took a look at them and we, we did various different bits and pieces. But they always seemed to fail. I, d I don't mean fail from a technical point of view, but fail from an implementation point of view in the healthcare systems. Um, when, you, when you take a wider look or a deeper look at that, and you start talking to clinicians and you look at how these tests are used, certainly in the Western world, these very elaborate sort of, they call them point of care tests, but they're not really point of need tests, which in sepsis is really what you need because sepsis is different to any other condition really. Um, when it comes to diagnosis and treatment, it's, it's not just, it's not that we don't have the treatments. We've got all the antimicrobials and everything. You know, people should not be dying of a condition where you've got the treatments. That's that's the bad thing about sepsis. It's the time to that treatment that's the, the real issue. And so you need a point of need test. And when you have something that is like a 1980s TV on a trolley that you wheel out and you've got multiple test strips and it costs thousands of pounds and it needs calibrating, maintenance, training and all these things and they're purchased by laboratory budget silos so they always stay in the laboratory... They're not going to be in every healthcare setting in every part of the world. They're not going to be in the back of an ambulance. They're not going to be in every GP surgery. They're not going to be in a pharmacist. They're not even going to be available over the counter somewhere. And so that's the problem. And a lot of sepsis, this is a bit of a misconception, I think. People think that sepsis only occurs in hospitals. And that's not true. About 80% of sepsis actually walks in through the front door of a hospital. So it starts in the community. And that could even be a readmission. So like me, I got booed out of hospital. A lot of post-operative people come back in through the front door of hospital mm. presenting with sepsis. But by the time you're ill enough to go to your pharmacist, your GP, you know, A&E, out of hours, whatever it is, you're already quite a long way down the sepsis pathway, if you like, towards septic, septic shock. And so, as I said, time is the, of the essence. So every hour delay to that initial treatment is about an 8 to 10% reduction in your chances of survival. So, like I say, when you pull in, you present, it's touch, it could be touch and go. And so the worst case, and we see this in, in the Ombudsman report, that parents come with their children, they think they've got sex or something going on, and they present it out of hours or A&E, and they get turned away because it's not spotted and there's no simple test for it. So even a simple lab test is, in a hospital, if you're there nine to five, Monday to Friday, it's three, four hours turnaround time. So remember the eight to 10% reduction in chances of survival, that, that's if they even trigger those blood tests because they think it's sepsis. So hence coming up with the need for this, you know, very rapid 
some might say quick and dirty kind of pre-screening for sepsis or whatever it might be, but a very simple, ultra-accessible um, point of need, genuine point of need test. And that's what we've, we've developed. We've developed basically a lateral flow test for sepsis. How quickly does that turn around results? Because obviously you say time is of the essence, so I imagine it's pretty quick. Yeah, it's a finger prick uh, blood test. Um, so you prick your finger, you take a little bit of the blood, um, you, much like a COVID test, you put that in a diluent and you mix it together, you put it on the test strip, and in under 15 minutes you've got a set of lines on there that can tell you whether you've got some general inflammation going on but it's non-infective and maybe it's something that can be treated in the community or it's serious enough to be admitted into hospital. But then if it is caused by an infective agent, which is what purely sepsis is, um, we can actually tell you, roughly speaking, we can't tell you the name of the of the bug that caused it, but we can tell you whether it's a viral, a bacterial or a fungal infection. And that can then obviously prompt you to give broad-spectrum antibiotics, antifungals, antivirals or whatever is needed as an initial emergency treatment. You can then also, the clinician can order the blood test that can refine it and do cultures or whatever it is and say, oh, actually, it's this type of bug. So we need to refine that broad-spectrum antibiotic to be in this type of antibiotic or whatever it might might need to be. But you don't need that information straight away. That's not what saves lives. What saves lives is this reducing that time to that, is there something going on and what is it? And let's get that treatment into into that patient straight away. You also mentioned that it's a bit like a COVID test and I'm not necessarily saying that COVID was the inspiration of getting this kind of, you know, test going because obviously you've spoken in depth about your background but it does speak a lot to accessibility nowadays and the ease of use for for, for, uh, for you know potential patients how big an aspect has that been when developing set test yeah i mean it was a bit of an influence i think there's a tendency certainly in the diagnostic field to be more and more um, complicated with technology and everything like that and be super accurate and outcompete each other almost on um, features and that actually takes you further and further away from being accessible and when people look at lateral flow tests there's a bit of a bad press really there's there's a positive and negative side to have of covid one is lateral flow tests everyone knows what lateral flow tests are and there's hundreds of manufacturers out there so from our point of view it means that we've got all these networks already established that mean that we can just put our chemistry onto them and, and off we go worldwide. And we know that they're low cost and everything like that. Um, but there is a bit of snobbery, I think, in the diagnostics industry and a bit bad press from some of the the different types of lateral flow tests that are out there. Not all lateral flow tests are made equal. There's some very cheap and nasty ones, and then there's some ones that are almost equivalent to ELISA testing, for example. They're well over 90 95% accurate. So if you develop it correctly, then they are just as good and give you an acceptable level of accuracy and sensitivity that you need at that point of need for that emergency kind of pre-screening. So we're not saying we're perfect and we do everything right, but we're right enough to make a huge impact on the outcomes of sepsis. There's a couple of very interesting points that you've raised there, Alistair, which I'd like to bring Sam in on because it's not necessarily a case of reinventing the wheel as we as we've heard there it's it's sometimes the simplest innovation can be the best one and that's probably something to remind potential applicants about so uh, absolutely yeah it doesn't have to be you know the next genome modeling to tool at all um 
Uh, I, by the way, I fell in love with Septest. I told my wife about it and she says, you need a whole load of those in the first aid kit because you are an industrial accident waiting to happen. So she was oh, sliced another finger off. And she'll say, get the Septest out. You know, it's that point of, as you say, point of need is absolutely key there. But yeah, it doesn't, in the innovation challenge, it's a great idea or a great business idea. It could be product process business. And, and I'd encourage everybody to apply into it. You know, free to apply. And um, as Alistair's alluded to, a lot of the people who are involved with the workshops put their time in as part of the prize, prize challenge fund. So th- th- there's a accountancy help, there's IP help, CE marking, legal help, all on offer to the winners as part of the prize package. And, you know, we're there to help all of the SME community try and improve what they're doing and raise their profile and get them out into the marketplace. Alistair, am I right in saying that this is still for you a part-time thing? Like it's something that you're only doing uh, a couple of days a week and you've, you've still got yeah. Yeah. a job to, uh, to juggle as well. There is that. I mean, there's obviously the challenges. Uh, I mean, w- what you touched on before was about the simplicity of in- innovation. For me, if someone says, oh, that's a simple solution, that is literally music to my ears because it means that I've hit the nail right on the head. So don't ever, you know, innovators out there, don't be put off by coming up with something that is mega simple. That is always the easiest, easiest route forwards. But yeah, personally, I mean, and, and I, I guess there's a lot of founders out there. I'm, I'm of a, an older age than what you might see on TikTok or whatever as being founders and, and everything. They're all 20 something year olds and, and all that. No commitments. I'm completely the opposite end of that. I'm in my uh, early 40s and three kids, a wife and a dog and a, and a mortgage, you know, so it's very hard to do a startup um, on your own and go out and get funding and quit your job and do all that when you've got, you know, mouse to feed and, and, and things like that and a, and a life to sort of to keep up to really. And there is obviously with every every founder, there's that leap of faith, isn't there? And sometimes on balance, you might think, actually, I'll just keep my main source of income going a bit longer until you know something really changes or i need to commit fully to the business at the moment i'm just about able to juggle everything as i said it's got a lot busier since t mm. <laughs> um so you haven't helped me in that sense but um yeah it's a nice a nice position to to be in really could, could you actually put a number on how much things have changed ever since the innovation challenge because you're saying it's got a lot busier um so um it's every evening I have to do at least three, four hours worth of work after after normal work um, just to keep up with emails and correspondence and booking and calls. And obviously you have to book your calls in around your work so that you're not affecting your work and everything like that. So it, it's been tough. It, uh, it's a real a real challenge in that sense to, to maintain all of that. Yeah. It seems like it's one that you're relishing and enjoying though. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> um, I think yeah. one of the things, that, uh, as as you guys will know as well, with, with and startups, um, you get comfortable with the no, um, being told no a lot, or it's not quite right for us. I think certainly when you're trying to go out and get funding, things are really difficult at the moment. And this is where TBAT helps a lot, I think, is that EU funding stopped because we obviously Brexit happened and all that money's kind of dried up about, I think it stopped at the end of last year or so. Um, and then there is a little pot of money. Sorry? It has started back up again, and we are working with a number of people 
applying in back into European funding. So right, this okay. is really great yeah. news for the whole of the UK and universities and, and technological companies. It, it's fantastic to be back into Europe now. This is because of Horizon. Yeah. 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 Horizon and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a massive lifeline because, you know, it wasn't looking good. Obviously, there's wars going on left, right and centre and VC funds are kind of pulling out of life sciences a little bit. It's tougher. Um, there's more competition for less money and everything like that. So that's where, you know, like I said, the likes of TBAC come in because of not only themselves, but their network. They're able to help you map that and find the right people in the right places. You know, not every VC is going to be right for you. But it's very hard if you're doing it on your own and you don't have that support because you have to knock on a lot of doors and get the door slammed in your face quite because you're not quite the right fit for them. And that's not because you your product's rubbish or you're rubbish or whatever it might be. It's just because it is so competitive and so tight out there. So you need that like expertise um, to, to figure it all out. And that's something that, you know, like I said, if you've got more jobs and more things pulling on your, your time, then that's where sometimes you need to kind of outsource it or ask for help. I mean, it's it feels like you're on the uh, the crest of an incredible wave now, and I'm really looking forward to following your progress. Albeit it might be a little bit from afar from where I am now, but that's uh, another subject entirely. But uh, Sam, I want to come to you now because I think we mentioned at the top about um, you know having a good idea, basically, and what you can do to support. And you, you've out- outlined all the workshops, etc., and the different types of innovations that you're getting in. <clears throat> Is there anything? in particular that might catch your eye this time around now we're into the third running okay so there was one company last year who uh, i'm a bit of a foodie i love barbecuing food um and i was lucky enough to look at one called sear grills and it's this modern ai driven way of cooking it's great and and you know what i i loved it i I might have to sell a kidney and buy myself one of them because they're not going to be cheap, but they are fantastic. So, you know, we're completely technology agnostic. Uh, and as Alistair says, sometimes the simpler ideas are the better ideas. Um, where they are in their development cycle, it doesn't matter. It's just great ideas. And yes, the further they are down, perhaps more relevance of some of the uh, award package might be. But yeah, we're looking forward to any kind of technology coming through the door, I think. The med tech stuff, the non-med tech stuff, that we we have some low carbon things coming through as well. Some of those are really interesting. Different ways of packaging hydrogen um, tanks for for vehicles and automation. You know, just getting those into different shapes so they package better in vehicles. Um, I thought it was a fantastic idea. So yeah, it, it it's an absolute privilege to receive the application. So you can just see what is happening out there in in the innovation community. It's uh, it's a real eye opener. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we get a lot of companies coming to us and they might say, well, what about grant funding? What about equity? What about R&D tax? And what we don't do, we don't just walk away. We may not be able to help them there and then. We'll give them some homework and say, you need to think about A, B, C and D. Let's put a diary date in for three months time and just see where you're up to and see whether now is the appropriate time to be working with you. Sometimes it's straight away, they've got a great idea, everything's in place, uh, off we go. Other times, we just have to kind of mentor or coach them through to the stage where they're in a better position to get going. Well, gents, thank you very much for your time. Um, there's actually a, a 
I always ask if there's anything else that you'd like to add. But before I do, and I've actually just thought of one more question for you, Sam, because obviously, you know, you, you've had two winners now. You were here with Alistair. Um, the previous winner was uh, Fenutest, I believe. Are, are you still in touch with Fian there? Yeah. And uh, how, how much di- how is that dialogue ongoing? It's not just beyond for a year. Is, that, is the dialogue ongoing with him as well? Absolutely. <clears throat> Pardon me. Absolutely. So, so Srijan, I believe, has gone to raise over uh, more than three and a half million pounds to further develop the technology. He's still working with the design company from Oxford, who he took advantage of as part of the, the package. And that relationship's just bloomed and bloomed. So um, I think he's working with one of the IP agents as well that we introduced them to. You know, Srijan's been on a real journey and we still keep in touch. We still talk about, you know, grant funding for the next bit of development on the journey. So, yeah, and uh, like Alistair, it's just a pleasure to be working with them and just to see how things develop over time. And, and if we can help them on that journey, then that's a privilege to do so. It sounds like uh, anyone that ends up being the third winner is in for a good ride as well. Gents, thanks again. But anything else you'd like to add before I, uh, before I bring everything to a close? Um, I'm just going to give one more plug for the Innovation Challenge and the showcase this year is bigger and better. We're at the uh, Leicester Space Centre. So we've got that. So we're going to have themed cocktails. We're going to have all the space rockets there, all the memorabilia from the 60s, 70s, 80s space race. Uh, and what a setting for the Innovation Challenge to, uh, to have the showcase. And let's get a load more companies like Alistair's involved. It'd be fantastic. And Alistair? I think just um, take advantage of this. There's not many Skipboard, I know of any other schemes like this, where it's free to enter. It's run by genuine people who want to help. And even just by entering, you're on their radar, you become part of their network. And as I said, that has just been, it's taken me aback by how beneficial it's been. So even if you don't win or anything like that, just take advantage of the workshops and take advantage of the network. You know, it's free to apply. There's no reason not to. I think that's a pretty good way to uh, to sign off. That's a great closer, that is. I love Alistair, by the way. <laughs> I wonder why. I love you too. <laughs> Thank you very much, gents. Lovely, gents. Thanks, Thanks guys. Much. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Take care.